Amen. Well, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope. And today and for the next couple weeks, probably, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We always do series here at Hope Church. And part of the reason is so that we can give you sort of bite-sized pieces of teaching. That way it just helps people have a little bit of a pace to it. We're always going through Bible. We organize things according to the Bible. But with the things that are going on now and as things are coming and going so quickly, uh, I'm hesitant to commit. However, Romans 12 has a ton that we need. And it's got some really good stuff specifically for some of the things I'm just hearing. I've been calling and talking to different people and praying with different people. Of course, experiencing stuff personally. I think Romans 12 is going to be a place we need to sit, especially for, as it begins the chapter, a very specific image that has stayed with me in a really powerful way, and I think will with you as well. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, please open them up to, you can turn or tap to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in the very first part of Romans chapter 12. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. And as you're turning and as you're thinking and sort of getting ready for our our conversation over the scriptures, let me ask you how things are going. Specifically, if you're going to chart it, are things getting better or are things getting worse for you personally? As this stuff continues, it seems to be getting harder rather than easier. I mean, yeah, you can start to get new rhythms. It's definitely not as unexpected. But trying to continue under some of the weight, under some of the difficulty of this, is hard and getting harder. Uh, Lots of different reasons for that. I mean, if you're with the people that you're with, the same faces, the same sort of routine, and maybe some new difficulties, some difficulties that were always there, but now they're kind of getting bigger and bigger because there's nowhere else to go. Uh, personally, I'm like a lot of people. I've started some new projects and maybe some new um, ideas now that we've got a little bit more time or certainly more time while we're at the house. I started a, a fermentation process where I'm making a fermented garlic paste. Yeah, I know you're jealous. Uh, I can't give you any now, but after this is over, maybe we can make a list or something. But uh, I've just started this new fermentation process. And if you're familiar with that process at all, you have to release some of the tension from the the containers that you're fermenting in. It releases gas. You have to burp the containers. That's what they call it. And it's really a very helpful term because that's what's happening. I mean, you have gases and then you have to release them. You have to burp these containers every now and again. And I was really jazzed the first couple of days of this process because when you burp it, you get this lovely garlic smell. Well, I found out that Rachel doesn't really love that smell. Uh, She doesn't think it's great, especially not like really early in the morning when I go in there to burp it after it's been fermenting all night. I'm learning that that bothers her, that maybe I should go and burp the container outside. That was something that we learned. And it's a silly thing, and it's a small thing, but it's a thing. And I think many of us are noticing that those little things and those small things are really not so little and so small because they're triggering bigger things under the surface. So we can talk some about relationships, but it's just everybody. If you're contained by yourself or you're contained with a group of people or you're contained with a large group of people, you have a big family, everybody's going through irritants that are bringing out deeper things that were always there. 
So this isn't a relationship talk or a non-relationship talk. This is a humans under pressure talk. And the kinds of things that are coming up that we're dealing with in what way? By having really short tempers? By having some pretty severe depression type stuff? By having this sort of whining noise of anxiety that's in our ears all the time? Therapists, when they're doing some kind of um, couples relationship type therapy or family therapy, they do this thing called stare therapy. And it sounds like the silliest thing in the world, but what you ask is you ask those two individuals to just stare at each other. And you just let it go. You have it go on for a considerable period of time. It doesn't have to be hours. But just staring at someone doesn't really take place on average for more than 10 or 15 seconds. So if you let it go on for 30 seconds or 60 seconds or 90 seconds, you start to realize that in the course of a day, you glance at each other. You talk to each other, but it's usually while you're doing something else. But to just stop for a moment and stare at each other. And if you're in therapy, there's an issue, right? This stuff just starts to come up. It starts to come out. And how you deal with it and how you're going to deal with it is very telling. This is not about judgmentalism. It's not about saying, how are you going to rank? No, no, no. None of that really matters. We find our identity in Christ, not in our activity. But this stuff is going to tell you something about your inner life, about your inner health about what's burbling down in there that's coming up. So read with me Romans 12. I want to read this first part because it's something that I find to be just a, 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 um, an image, a biblical illustration, a teaching and a theology. I mean, it's not just an, uh, an illustration that stayed with me in a really uh, tactile way. And I keep thinking of it over the week. So read with me Romans chapter, one, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. We're just going to read this first verse. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm going to read that again in just a second. But the main kind of part, we're going to go through this word by word. We're just doing one verse today, but we're going to go through it word by word. And the main kind of part I keep thinking about is this idea of a living sacrifice. Sacrifices don't live. That's the point of a sacrifice. This is odd because he's talking about a living sacrifice. The idea that we can sit before the presence of God and stay. Be alive in the presence of God and stay. And the old kind of preacher thing that is said about this verse is the problem with a living sacrifice. What's the problem? Well, the problem with a living sacrifice is they can crawl off the altar. And that's what I keep thinking about as I'm going through and trying to minister to myself, pastor my family, and through the phone, pastor as many people as I can through Hope Church. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it can keep crawling off the altar. The problem with being allowed into God's presence and continuing to live even with sin is the constant pull away from him, the constant desire to slip away from him, the constant desire to let the burbling, gurgling things that need to be dealt with continue 
or even increase and to distract yourself with a, a bunch of different things that maybe would help instead. Where God actually wants to deal with some of the stuff that's going on in you. Let's read this again and think about it slowly and carefully. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Very beginning, he says, I appeal to you. The book of Romans is written by a guy named Paul. He's writing to the church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. In this appeal, he's actually trying to gather some support, give them some teaching, make a connection, and then hopefully they will be a springboard for him to go and do ministry in Spain. He's actually never been to Rome or to this Roman church. He didn't plant this church like he did many of the other churches that he writes letters to. And so this book of Romans has a ton of stuff in it. And there's really not a lot of like incidental stuff. There's not stuff that's just relative to Rome. It's all stuff for all the church. And there's been 11 chapters. We're in Romans chapter 12. And this guy, Paul, who's saying, I appeal to you. Paul is saying that he is going to exhort, he's going to appeal to these people a specific thing. But that, that verb is really important. It says appeal in the ESV. It says, uh, I'm going to exhort in, I think, the NIV, other translations, the, the Greek word that we're trying to get at is somewhere between the words command and plea. It's not really a command. It's not really a plea. It's this idea that I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to rally you around something. And that's something that we need to be doing right now together. Exhortation or appeals or reminders or rallies need to be taking place from church members to church members. And one of the reasons that we've got the difficulty that we've got is that you're missing some of those normal touch points that you have with people who remind you of the things that draw you into God's presence. I heard one pastor say on a Zoom call, every hand you can't shake is a call you should make. Now, that's great, and it rhymes. But that's what we need to be doing. That's what Paul is doing to these people he's never met before. But the overflow of his love and overflow of his conviction about the things that are true and his desire, his, his knowledge that every Christian needs those things underlines a task that we all have together, which is to remind each other of these things that are already true, but that we tend to slip away from. Things that are in the presence of God, putting us right there on the altar right before him. And yet, as living sacrifices, we tend to sneak away from, distract ourselves from on purpose. But that's where Paul starts. He's starting by appealing to them, to bringing them in. And he's cheering them on. Look at the context here. Again, he's not just lashing them. He's reminding them of something that's true that they've committed to. He does say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... He's speaking to people who have already agreed or already committed to these things. It is like somebody cheering on a runner in a really long race. Have you ever done that? It's not super fun for the crowd. I mean, you go and you stand and then they go by. Okay, you know, like you can go to another place and watch them go by again. And really the people who go and do that are the, the family, the friends who are going to encourage and on a really long race, they stand there and they cheer and they clap and they try to remind you that this is a good idea. And you really should try to finish this. 
And you should push yourself to finish this because even with all the difficulty and even with all the pain that your body's experiencing and the uncomfortableness of this race as you're continuing, you're feeling different things and oh my gosh, you're training, you're supposed to do more and you didn't really and oh, it's hurting. And your friends and your family are cheering you on and what they're doing is not commanding. What they're doing is simply reminding. Hey, when you're in your right mind, when you don't have all this pain and all this difficulty that's kind of turning your head, but when you're in your right mind, you decided to do this. You thought this was a good idea. And when you've crossed that finish line, you're going to be so happy. If I could somehow call up future you and past you, they would agree with me that you should keep running. That's the idea. At Hope Church, it's always going to be that idea. When we, when we try to compel, when we try to uh, appeal to, when we try to exhort or rally or remind, we are always doing that in order to either get you excited about becoming a Christian because you're not, or reminding Christians of what they have already agreed is a good idea. Be very careful about any group or any movement that tries to get you to obedience without showing you foundation. Where are the foundations in this verse? Well, they're hidden right there, but it's there. It says, therefore. And this therefore is one of the biggest therefores in the world. Because in this therefore, he is recapping the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. It doesn't take too long to read those 11 chapters. It's not a big therefore because of word count. It's a big therefore because of content. In those 11 chapters, he is summarizing and bringing together all of the Bible. And the Bible is a very big book, but again, it's not about word count. It's about the, con the concepts, the immensity of the idea that in these chapters, we have an answer to the question, how can things be right again? The number one question, the main question asked by scripture, which is if we are separated by God, this happens in the first couple chapters of the Bible, we are separated by God because of our sin against him. How do we get made right again? How do we get put back together again? And in the book of Romans, that therefore, he's capturing all 11 chapters, which captured all of, or most of, a good picture of, all of God's response to that question, how he's going to bring us back to himself. In one word, it's justification. That word comes up a ton as you read through the book of Romans. It's because that's the idea. That, that word, therefore, is grasping at how God is going to justify sinful people, meaning make people who are far from him able to stand again before him. It's not as simple as opening the door because God's a holy God. To stand in his presence as a sinner is either to be punished because he's holy, he's got to, or and if you're like me, it, it, it's hard to imagine what that or could possibly be. The story of the Bible, though, is God answering that or. He's giving you that other possibility, how it's possible that a sinful person could stand before a holy God without just being annihilated. I wish that clap was louder. It was kind of a wimpy clap for God's annihilation. <laughs> Boom! You know, I wish it would. But you can understand what I wanted to have happen. And, and maybe conceptually what's going on. Because in the beginning, we decided that we wanted to be like God. 
And in desiring that, we answered the one big question that we had as humans by saying, here's the, the big question. You can either have God be God because he's God, or you can attempt to be God. And what the enemy did when he tempted Adam and Eve with that apple was he is giving them that choice and tempting them towards this idea that they could somehow be God. You and I are going through that choice every day in a thousand ways. We can choose either to be submission, submitted to, worshipful of, desirous for God, or we can choose to be God. To decide how we're going to get our pleasure, how we're going to get our satisfaction, who we say our identity, who we say we are. When we do that, we're answering in a different way. And again, Romans does a really beautiful job. Go home and read it. You're at home. Take time today and read these 11 chapters and see, especially in the first couple of bits, how he gets through this idea, how the enemy gets in there in order to try and take apart your understanding of what's good and substitute something else. And he can substitute really dumb stuff. You probably are experiencing that. In fact, it's better for the enemy if he does substitute really dumb stuff because you won't even notice Screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis. It's been like two weeks since I've mentioned C.S. Lewis, so I was due. C.S. Lewis, screw tape letters. He talks about, he's got these devils talking to each other about how they're tempting people. And he talks about, in this book, he says, uh, the older enemy, the older devil is talking to the younger devil about the guy that he's tempting. And he says, all the healthy and outgoing activities which we wanted to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. That kind of feels like us right now, right? So that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his own arrival down here, referencing hell, I see now that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. And the idea there is that if you're doing something that's really good, even if it's dumb, that pleasure is going to lead you to God. What the enemy wants to do instead is he wants to give you stuff that's not what you should do, or even really what you want to do. Do you find yourself doing that? You're a couple seasons into a show and you're not really sure that you even like it. It's supposed to be a comedy. You don't remember the last time you laughed? You really enjoy video games, but there's this idea that these video games are going to somehow give you growth. Video games are, are built around that idea. It's all about markers of progress and moving to the next marker of progress. Why? To create the illusion that you're doing something. Can I tell you? You're not doing anything. I'm not saying it's evil, but I'm not saying it's good. We substitute all these little things. And I think the enemy is really quick to try and push in specific stuff. I'm talking to myself. I'm not trying to preach down at you. But he tries to substitute all this stupid stuff. And you say to yourself, was it really helpful? Needful? Good? Or even really enjoyable? Often not. God instead, in Romans 3, again, part of this therefore, is telling us the salvation that he's given us through Christ, how he has woken us up from the rot that we've committed ourselves to by giving us a way, by teaching us what's true, waking us up to new life. Romans chapter 3, and it's a little dense, 
But it's this perfect bringing together of how we become His again, how we become united to Him again. It says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all separated ourselves from Him and are justified by His grace as a gift. We can be made just again through His grace given as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word is just fancy for a sacrifice. Someone who stands in your place to receive a punishment, a propitiation by His blood. It wasn't that He had to pay a certain amount of money. It wasn't that He had to give up a certain amount of time. It was that He had to give His own blood, His own life. To be received, not by monumental effort. What effort could buy the blood of God? But simply by a gift, by faith. This would show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. This shows righteousness at the present time so that he may be most, both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Think about what we said last week. Last week, we talked about how the enemies, um, so uh, it was Easter week. If you're here, you were probably there as well. We talked about how Jesus, when he's crucified, is crucified between two thieves. And the one thief is reviling Jesus and then also kind of hoping that maybe he is Jesus and we'll get him off the cross. And then the other thief gives us a really plain, clear understanding of how these verses work. Because he didn't do anything. He just realized he realized that, A, he is somebody who deserves this death. That, B, Jesus doesn't. That, C, Jesus is literally taking his place. This guy, everything that he's going through, Jesus is also going through. As he confesses that, Jesus makes this promise to him. Surely you will be with me in paradise. Why does he say that? He gives that promise of paradise because of this guy's faith. And it's not faith that he's achieving by simply screwing up his will to grasp on mentally to something that he doesn't really believe. It's the faith of one who says, I see A, B, and C. Therefore, D. I'm in sin. He isn't, and yet he's dying for me. That's communicating a love to me. Maybe I can presume on that love in some way and just plead with him. Remember me when you go into paradise. Remember when you, when you step into your kingdom. <laughs> and that's the key. It works. Jesus says to him on the cross, having this most blissful moment this guy's ever going to have, is he's dying on a he's crucified and he's dying on a cross, hands nailed to wood, and he's hearing Jesus say, "Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise." How lovely! And that's exactly what's being handed to you. This is one of the therefores contained in this verse in Romans twelve one, where he says. Brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. These mercies, these things that God is taking away that you did deserve. You deserve this punishment, and yet he is holding back that punishment from you. Mercy. The mercy of God. 
that as you keep your eye on it, it allows you to put yourself back on that altar. Stand again before his presence and say to yourself and with your actions that he is going to be your satisfaction, your security, your identity. That he gets to write out your task list for the day. And that you, deciding that you're a servant rather than God, are going to just endure it. You're going to go about doing what he's commanded you to do. Thinking in ways that he is teaching you that are true. And trusting him with the enjoyment part. Now, practically this is very, very difficult. Or it seems very difficult because we just don't have much faith. Practically, this feels like trying to commit yourself to something. And golly, you're going to have to screw up your will to an incredible degree if you're going to actually follow through with it. But what Paul is actually saying with this therefore and talking about the mercies of God contained in the first 11 chapters, which really not about Romans, about the gospel that God's given us. Is he's telling you things that you know are true. So think for a second about the difficult situations you're going to have this week. Hard conversations you know are coming with family, with spouses, with coworkers over Zoom, with people who are not going to call you and all the depression that that brings. And you have that choice. Am I going to go to God with this? Or am I going to go to the things that I myself have determined are going to make me feel okay? In that moment, you know it's going to be really hard not to crawl off the altar. But I want you to think about what you would say to somebody who would be in a similar situation. Think about somebody who's an addict who's now sober. They've gone through unspeakable things. And yet, by God's grace or somebody's help, they've come and they're now sober and they're considering going back. They really want that drug. What would you say to them? Well, if you cared, you would get in their face and you would just say, look, you've got life right now. And you know that that choice is death. Choose life. Don't choose death. And it's as simple and as, as, as grandiose as that. Do you understand that's what Paul is appealing you to do? He's exhorting you to do? Remember what's true. Remember the mercies of God and allow them to just keep you right in front of him. Looking to him for your strength, for your marching orders through all this. If you will, you'll find him faithful. Some more of the mercies that he's talking about here. One of them is this, just this process works. It says that you can sit before God, that you can be a living sacrifice before him, living Holy and acceptable. And then he says that this is your act, your spiritual act of worship. Briefly, let's talk about this. One, that you're living. That you're standing before God and you can have a relationship with him. The impact of that statement should hit you over the head like a baseball bat. That you can stand in the presence of the Holy One and live. Did you sing the Psalm 46 song? He talked about mountains melting and spears being bent. Is that all the other bad people who are warring that God wars against? But clearly not you. God who is holy wars against all wickedness. 
if that's us, we should tremble. It is a miracle that you can pray to a holy God. It's a miracle that you can be in his presence and be living. Remember, most sacrifices don't. <laughs> they die. That's the point of a sacrifice. But you can stand before God as a living sacrifice because Jesus stood before God and died. You are a living sacrifice, and you are a sacrifice holy and acceptable. As you go through the Old Testament, you'll find several places where people would give poor sacrifices. They would give unworthy sacrifices. And it wasn't just that they couldn't afford so much and God was disappointed with their gift. It was that they were slapping him in the face. They were bringing him a gift that they clearly bought at Walgreens on the way. It was a gift that didn't show their desire for forgiveness for things they agreed were wrong. And yet, in Christ, as you can sit before God, stand before God, as that is your sacrifice, that is a holy sacrifice. That's an acceptable sacrifice. And you can. You can sit before him in that way, with that label. And to do that, to sit before him in that way, putting your life up for him to do what he will with in that way, that is your spiritual worship. That's what it looks like to praise God. The singing that we do, the praying that we do, the things that we're doing right now, it is worship. But the things you go about the rest of your week doing, the way in which you care for other people the rest of this week and make sure that God's name is glorified, that is worship. That is your spiritual act of worship. Keeping yourself right there in his presence. And man, again, you say, this is so hard. Can I do this? Should I do this? Will I do this? In view of his mercies, you should. Let's look at some more of these mercies. In Romans chapter 8, which is another summing up of the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, Paul says a couple of things. One thing, he, he kind of puts one right next to another, and it's really, really beautiful. It says in Romans 8, 31 and 32, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us... Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Start listing out in your mind the thing that God cannot overcome. If that list is zero, which it should be, start listing out in your mind all the things that are going to make this week impossible for you to obey God. What are the enemies that are going to drag you off of that altar and ask yourself, how many of those enemies can God not overcome? Do the math. Who can stand against us if God is for us? Now, crucial if. That word if makes it conditional, doesn't it? Is God with us? Will he stand with us? I mean, I get that if I'm riding on a giant's shoulder, nobody can step in my way. But will the giant carry me? Well, again, look at the next verse. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us all things? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Do you get it? Do you see? 
If the cross is true, and if, if the cross is true, and then all of this goes together. But if Jesus really was a man, he really did die, but not just as a man, if he really was something more than a man. And the Bible's very clear about who we say he is. And if you're somebody, again, who's examining the claims of Christianity, please ask the questions in order to understand our foundations for this belief. It's not dumb faith. It's faith based on conclusions. But if he really was who he said he was, and his death really did take place and was followed by a resurrection, then we're going to put all of the meaning on that event that he put on that event. When he said that he did that at the command of God out of his love for you, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Because of his love, he has given this gift. So if he's on my side, nothing can defeat me. Will he be on my side? I don't know. Did he give you his own son? Well, yeah. Okay. Is it really that much to ask for anything else? If he's written the check for the Lamborghini, won't he let you borrow a toothbrush? If he's done the greater thing, the greatest thing, won't he do the little things? Like giving you the grace for a hard conversation, giving you the grace to resist a persistent temptation? Hey, I don't know exactly where you're at. I know there's a lot of trouble in marriages. I know there's a lot of difficulty people are having with um, just being by themselves, being alone. I know there's a ton of economic pressure. Whatever those end up looking like, whatever things they end up pushing up in you, take them to the Lord. Put them before Him. Stay in His presence. Living sacrifice. Stay in His presence. Put them before Him and just plead for His grace to heal. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his strength to get through. And watch as the promises work. As he actually is faithful. And I, I hope that you will reach out. Every hand you can't shake is a call you should make. Call me. Call your community group leaders. Call the people who invited you to hope in the first place. Let somebody know how you're struggling in order for them to pray with you and to maybe point out some things that could bless you. And let's get through this. Things are getting harder. Okay, that's a great opportunity for you to feast on God's grace. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your incredible offering, the, the incredible way in which you have provided for us, being just but also being our justifier, that you didn't become sin just out of um, inability. You didn't fall to sin. You're holy. You went into sin as Christ, taking up our sin and our punishment in order to give us life. I pray, Lord, with all of the stuff that's bubbling up in people right now, that you would let that stuff out, that they would submit it to you, and that you would cleanse and that you would heal. I pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.